Welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet, the podcast that helps advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families understand the complexities of issues related to our mental, physical, and emotional well-being. Our co-hosts, Arden O'Connor and Diana Clark, will interview a series of guests on a range of topics, providing informative content and practical tools for professionals and families to consider. Here are your hosts, Arden and Diana. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about building financial resilience with our guest, Todd Carey. Todd, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Arden. Thank you for having me. Well, I thought I'd start in with just a quick background for our listeners and some of our viewers. So Todd is certainly no stranger to strategic planning, execution, and has been working throughout his entire career to help others succeed. Prior to entering the wealth management industry, he played professional baseball for over eight seasons with the Boston Red Sox, New York Mets, and Los Angeles Dodgers. And he brings that level of talent, discipline, and uh, energy to his position at UBS Private Wealth Management, where he and his partner, Joseph McKeever, provide advice and solutions to an executive and affluent group of families and individuals. So welcome, Todd. What an interesting career. Um, I, I guess my first question is, is how did you make the transition? And are there things that you brought in to your wealth management career that were applicable in your uh, baseball career? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for having me. Um, yeah, I, I was lucky enough to be drafted by the Boston Red Sox when I was a junior at Brown University and, um, you know, had a chance to play professional baseball for, you know, parts of seven seasons. Um, and, you know, I took a few investment classes when I was at Brown. My father was involved in finance um, and, you know, learned a bit from him growing up and was just always interested in the markets, interested um, in portfolio management and asset allocation, um, you know, when I had a chance to transition from baseball, you know, sort of to the world of finance, I went back for my MBA, which was great for me. Um, you know, two years of transitioning, you know, learning about finance and transitioning from baseball to, to, um, to the kind of the real world, as I say, um, at Bryant university. And, um, I was able to, you know, land in a summer internship, with Lehman Brothers, um, and then that turned into a full-time job, and I started um, as a investment rep, you know, up in up in Boston for for Lehman Brothers. But um, I was always interested in finance. I was always interested in talking to people and building relationships, particularly about their portfolio management and and their investments. That just always captured my attention. Working with families and individuals, um, you know, it's a lot of relationship building. Um, you know, a lot of deep conversations about you know, what they have planned for the future, not quite as transactional as, you know, maybe on the institutional side. So for me, that was the attraction. And I tried to find um, an industry and a job that, you know, kind of matched my skills and my interests, you know, with with uh, with a career. So that's how I ended up in this business. Um, Interesting. So, yeah. And in terms of, you know, what I learned, you know, certainly playing sports, you know, you learn a lot of, of skills around, you know, confidence and discipline and hard work and, you know, trying to master a specific, you know, specific task. I think playing professional baseball, meeting people from all walks of life in different countries, um, you know, really, you know, I learned how to communicate with different people, how to get on the same page with everybody. And, you know, baseball is a great team sport. You have your own 
individual requirements and individual, you know, goals and, and, um, and jobs to get done, but it's all within a team setting and you're all pulling for the same, in the same direction. So, um, you know, for, for me, professional sports, um, you know, taught me a lot. It's an interesting switch and it makes sense that there are some things you learned in baseball that applied to your career. Did you find you were unique among your peers when it came time to transition that you had an established goal in your mind? Or did you find other peers had similar thoughts early in their careers? You know, I know I'm going to have to leave this field at some point and I have ideas later. Or were you unique in that position? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think there were many players, um, you know, on my teams that you know, were sort of born and bred to be a professional athlete and there was no real plan B. Um, you know, as a kid, I, my parents, you know, sort of raised me to, to, to be, um, you know, educated and also, you know, enjoy sports. And, um, when I got to Brown and started to, to do well and, you know, gain some attention from the professional scouts, um, I kind of viewed that as gravy, you know, that was sort of, if I had a chance to extend my career past, you know, the college, you know, baseball level, um, you know, it was, it was gravy. I always knew that I had an education to fall back on, but, mm -hmm. you know, many, many players don't do that. And, um, you know, we, we work with a few people involved in professional sports and, you know, there are some lessons, you know, to be learned. I, I think a lot of players, um, don't really plan for the future. Um, you know, there's a very short window of their earning capabilities, right? You know, it's usually three to five years and they're young people when, you know, when, when their careers come to an end and, yeah. you know, unless they have a plan in place for the future, both financially, you know, and for, you know, just general, you know, goals and, and achievements later in life, um, you know, it can, it can be difficult for them. So, um, you know, we, you know, we do work with a few people in this space and, and, um, you know, we're always trying to putting a plan in place. We're always trying to think about their next steps, try to really understand, you know, um, you know, that they're going to have to live off the money that they make at a very early age, mm -hmm. you know, for a very long time. Um, obviously if they make enough money, it, you know, it's a little bit easier to do that, but you know, mm -hmm. mo most of the professional athletes, um, require a plan and require some, some thought and assistance around this. And, um, you know, people get into trouble if there's, you know, if, if they don't have that plan in place. So um, certainly a lot of things I learned when I was playing and saw and witnessed and kind of experienced, you know, um, you know, helped me in my financial, my financial life later. So. I think it's an important role to play. And when we think about, I think about players as people who are so passionate and have been, as you said, born and bred, you know, with this idea of who they are and their identity is wrapped up in that. And it's such a powerful thing, but it also, to your point, can be challenging if you're forced to, you know, change what your career looks like, which I think when you talk about a professional athlete is more tied to who you are than many other professions. You know, related to that is the, the piece that you brought up about the financial um, challenges that can come if you don't have a plan in place. How do you see people kind of weather the financial storm and deal with either uncertainty as we're living in now or financial challenges either more successfully or less successfully? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, everyone needs a plan and not just professional athletes, but, you know, business owners, corporate executives who, you know, most of the families that we work with, um, you know, they, they need a plan and the people who weather the storm stick to the plan. Um, they execute the plan. Certainly, you know, there are times when it's a little bit more difficult to do that, but I think, you know, we have a framework here at UBS where 
we look at, it's called Wealthway. <clears throat> we look at the client's assets in three distinct buckets, um, liquidity, longevity, and legacy. And liquidity is, you know, assets that they're going to tap into in the next, you know, one to three years. Um, longevity is for the rest of their lives and legacy are assets that, you know, we're going to outlive them and pass on to the next kids, you know, to their kids or, or whoever they want to give it to. Um, and that's a great framework to kind of set up for our clients because it gives them a real plan, gives them a lot of confidence. Um, it helps them understand that when the markets, you know, experience volatility, they don't need to come off the plan. They can still, so there's a lot of flexibility into that plan. Um, but those who, you know, weather storm have a plan in place, they work with us to stick to that plan. Um, and, you know, execute that plan so that, you know, they have better outcomes over the long term. Um, the last thing you want to do is act irrationally and, um, you know, make changes based on what you see on CNBC or what you're hearing, you know, out and about. Um, it's, it's just um, better to have that plan in place and, and to work with an advisor that um, can help you stick to that plan. But, um, you know, it's not just true with professional athletes. It's true with a lot of business owners and yeah. um, corporate executives, you know, people who have wealth and have com complex financial pictures, um, they need a plan in place. And, and um, you know, we're here to help and, and uh, help them execute that plan. In addition to the planning piece, you know, are there other characteristics or traits that you see in people who have more trouble financially when challenges pop up or when there's volatility in the markets? Yeah, you know, coming into the pandemic, we saw a lot of investors, um, you know, stretch for returns because it was hard to find decent returns in, in public markets, you know, going into the pandemic. Um, and all that does is really put a, more risk into your portfolio so that when you do experience volatility, your, your, you know, your, your portfolio is going to going to be even more affected um, by the ups and downs. So um, in addition to sort of coming off the plan, you know, I think the biggest thing that we saw was, um, you know, people considering or, you know, attempting to try to add, you know, more risk in the portfolio to increase their returns. And, um, you know, that typically doesn't work well. So I think, you know, the, when market shakeouts or, you know, wars or, you know, pandemics arise, um, you, you know, we work with our clients. We try to show them a lot of empathy. I, we know that there's, you know, greater levels of uncertainty out there. And, you know, if you sold your business and, you know, have a pool of assets all of a sudden and the market's experienced a lot of volatility, it, it can be very unsettling. And, you know, what we try to do is, is show them, you know, a lot of empathy and communicate with them, um, you know, take a deep breath and really try to have a thoughtful plan, you know, in place and, and, and make some, some good rational decisions. I think, um, you know, our job is to really advise them not to do that. And, and we do understand that that's difficult at certain times, but, um, you know, we want to bring them back to the plan and, and have them make good decisions. But, you know, certainly, you know, monitoring your portfolio allocation prior to any of these events, you know, it's it's important at all times, but certainly through through the you know any sort of pandemic, it's it becomes even more important. Has the pandemic redefined for your clients what the term long term planning means? Do you see people who are less sure that that's something important to consider, or do you see any major shifts across all of your clients? You know, financially well off or not? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, I, th I think it certainly brings more uncertainty, you know, to a lot of people. I think, um, you know, people consider their mortality a little bit more when, when these things come up. I think it certainly opens their eyes to um, unexpected events. You know, the possibility, you know, uh, of these events, you know, becomes 
you know, it becomes greater. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, the good news is when, when these things do happen, you know, people do focus on it. They focus on long-term planning. And while we try to, you know, set up a long-term plan for all of our clients, you know, initially when we start with them, certainly these events will, you know, will, you know, sort of exacerbate, you know, those issues that come up. Um, you know, I, I think people want to gain some control of their future when times are uncertain and this plan and the long-term planning, you know, that, that goes along with it, I, I think, you know, comes into to, to a little bit more, more focus for them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, the other thing is, you know, people were generally home a little bit more during the pandemic. Yes. And I think a lot of the things on the wealth management side got kicked, you know, it's like typical business, you know, people are busy, you know, the wealth management, the personal planning gets kicked to the back. And I think when they're home and they're starting to, you know, be a little bit more concerned about these things, I, I think, you know, one good thing that came out of all this is that people had a chance to re-engage and refocus, you know, on their long-term planning. So, um, you know, for me, the optimist, I, I, I think it's a great, I think some good things came out of it and it was, you know, calling attention to people's plans and focusing a little bit more on that, you know. It's funny you say that. I, you know, we talked a lot during the pandemic about what fields experienced an increase, and I'm going to pivot to the mental health field in a minute. We certainly saw an increase in need for our services, but we heard similarly from trust and estate attorneys. Just you know, to your point, people had been putting off healthcare proxies and decisions around estate planning for years, but now they were at home and frankly, the possibility of death became more real. So they suddenly focused attention in, on that. You know, the other area, just anecdotally, you mentioned people being in their homes. I know the home design business and Wayfair and all these companies providing furniture yeah. went through the roof because people, I think, are much more aware of the environments they're living in and, and thinking about how do you kind of reposition things when you're not on the road all the time. So to switching gears a little bit, have you encountered clients that you've worked with who have struggled with mental health challenges and, and what's been your involvement in those types of situations yeah absolutely um you know i i've experienced it personally you know in my family i've experienced it you know in my prior career in baseball and you know we certainly have have clients um and families that you know have experienced that you know in in their lives um you know they're, they're the good news is i think there's no stigma attached to it the way there once was um certainly when i was playing baseball it's not something you really heard a lot about. It's not something that organizations, you know, were prepared to discuss, you know, were prepared to deal with. Um, it was typically the responsibility, the onus, you know, was all on the player to, to really understand that. Um, you didn't really hear about it. I think people were ashamed. You know, that's changed. There's a lot more resources, a lot more education, a lot more conversations about it. And I think I think that's a great thing. Um, you know, I, I think in terms of financial planning and wealth management, um, you know, dealing with families that, that have, you know, addiction or, you know, mental health issues in their family, you know, it leads to a lot of sensitive conversations. Um, and so, you know, we try to steer them and to guide them just to have the conversations, not necessarily for us to say how it should be handled. Um, we have some great outside partners that we work with. We also have an internal resources uh, called our family advisory services, and they are really there to help the family sit down together, open lines of communication, discuss, you know, all the issues that may come up around family planning and their values and long-term um, effectiveness of, of the family working together. Um, it's a great resource for us, particularly mental health. 
um, and addiction, you know, that is something that brings the families to the table. And, you know, we've utilized that resource internally for us. But, um, you know, there's a there's a lot of issues that need to be considered from a financial planning perspective when, you know, that issue arises in families. And I, and I think there's a couple of things, you know, that are required. There's a lot of flexibility that needs to be, you know, built into a plan. Um, you know, you've, I'm sure you've heard the expression, fair but not equal. You know, some yeah. kids may require, you know, more assets, you know, to, to, to be healthy than, than others. Um, you know, there's just, there's a lot of things that, you know, hiring a professional, you know, trustee who is used to dealing with issues, you know, if you are setting up trust to take care of, the, you know, somebody with, with that particular issue, that becomes vitally important. So, you know, there, there's, you know, interesting and, you know, kind of unique ways to, to, to work with families that, that have this. And, and our job is, you know, again, not to settle how they handle it, but really just to design, help them design plans with, you know, however they decided to, to move forward with that. But, you know, definitely an issue we're seeing more of. You brought up one of my my favorite fra- phrases: this fair but not equal, or not fair but equal. However, you want to say it. Um, I guess yeah. my question related to that is: you know, what is your response? Because I understand you're not the mental health clinician coming in to resolve the family's you know challenging dynamics. But you have you seen families make missteps around potentially. Uh, offering somebody a sibling as a trustee in a situation that doesn't make sense to do so. And what, what is your role if you see people trying to do something they think is in the best intentions of the family, but you have your own concerns financially about whether it makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm just thinking about one particular client that we work with where um, there were two brothers, you know, one had some mental health issues and, you know, he was the younger brother, the older brother, you know, wanted to be that guardian. It was, he was always looking out, you know, his, obviously his, his heart was in, was in the best place, but um, it's a tremendous amount of work to be a trustee, you know, and work, you know, with, with a family member that, that requires, you know, very special needs. And, you know, the family originally set up the older brother to be the trustee and the guardian and, and kind of really handle it because the brother really wanted to. Um, but, you know, he he just ran into, you know, he had his own career and family and he just ran into time issues and, and being a legend. And, you know, he almost had a, a nervous breakdown, you know, trying to, you know, be all things to his younger brother. And again, his heart, you know, his intentions were right, but it's just really hard. So I, I think, you know, delicately, we, we tried to, you know, introduce that family to a, you know, a corporate or a professional trustee who's used to having this work with the family, understand what the goals are, understand, you know, the beneficiary and the requirements and the needs and everything, and just basically take a little bit of stress off of the brother, the older brother, um, and, you know, work with an outside partner. And, and, and I think that, you know, led to some better outcomes, you know, for the family. And I think they're, you know, they're in a much better spot than they were before. It's a great example because I think you've hit the nail on the head when you describe the brother who has the best of intentions and even the desire to be helpful, but doesn't realize when, you know, my favorite phrase is someone gets over their ski tips, they're in the middle of it, and then they're trying to balance their own needs. And they realize, you know, this is just much more filled with crisis, and it's starting to impede on my other obligations. So I think it's it's a great role to play. It's a great role to play. 
You know, one, yeah. one comment I wanted to go back to that you mentioned is that you feel like there's less stigma attached to mental health. Are you seeing that with even athletes who are very much in the public eye or families that you work with of high net worth that are in the public eye? You know, are you seeing that they're willing to either admit that there's an issue within their family system or admit that they themselves need help? Or do you still think there's any type of reluctance to look vulnerable and talk about these issues publicly? Yeah, no, I, I think you're seeing it, you know, in professional sports, at least, you know, um, you know, the, the female tennis player, Osaka, she, you know, she, she just this past weekend, you know, came out and said she was battling again at another, you know, ten, tennis um, event. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's still tough. I, you know, I think it's, you know, not a decision that professional athletes, you know, make very easily, but I, I think they are absolutely more willing to discuss it. They're absolutely more willing to show their vulnerability. They're absolutely more willing to show that, you know, they have a lot of pressure and they can't necessarily, you know, deal with it all directly. And I think that's a great thing. Um, in terms of most of the families we work with, you know, it's it's not quite as prevalent, but there's definitely, you know, some families that have that. And, and I think um, experience that. And, and um, I think people are more aware of the resources and the education around it all now. So I, I think it's a great thing, but, but yeah, I, I definitely, you know, it, you know, if you pay attention to the, to the sports world that, you know, there's more and more of that coming out, you know, almost every year in terms of athletes struggling with their mental health. Um, and I think the organizations, um, you know, have to have to build in and are beginning to build in, you know, some resources um, for, for these athletes, you know, to, to handle that. Um, there's just more and more pressure. There's more and more limelight. You know, they're making more and more money. Um, you know, it's like everything has been ramped up and escalated, you know, Absolutely. pretty significantly in the last, you know, 10 to 15 years. And I think um, that's just put more pressure, you know, on the athletes themselves, whether they're in a team framework or individually. But, you know, I, I just hope the organization's you know, are willing to continue and, and improve their resources, you know, to help these athletes in the future. To your earlier point, especially in baseball, given the short window of the career, I can't imagine the pressure that's on these athletes who suddenly go from being, you know, superstars, what feels like overnight, maybe not to them, but to many of us, um, then, you know, transitioning into a different field and, and all the pressures that come with how do you go back to living in normal life when, you know, what, how you were identified even by the public and externally um, is not lost, yeah. but it's, it's certainly changed. Yeah. You know, the professional athletes feel it, but, you know, I, I would also say that, you know, we work with a lot of business owners, you know, who decide to sell their business and, and business owners, their identity gets tied up, you know, into their business um, almost, you know, exactly like, you know, professional athlete, you know, being on the field of competition, the business owners, you know, sometimes when they sell their business, it's it's a really difficult transition to the next phase of their life. And I think a lot of them don't feel like they have, you know, a plan in place or a goal, you know, personally, just to, to, to feel fulfilled, you know, with the next stage of their lives. And, and business owners, you know, they certainly get wrapped up, you know, their identity gets wrapped up, you know, in, in their business. And, and I think, um, you know, we're to here to help them with that. Um, there's obviously some things we, we can answer. There's some things that we can turn to some external partners, um, to help them, you know, with that and have, you know, family discussions. But, you know, I, I think it doesn't just happen with athletes. I think, I think business owners really, you know, get wrapped up in that too.
It's a great point. And, you know, on the side of the business we're on, we're often seeing people in their 60s, 70s, 80s who perhaps drank within normal limits, maybe a little on the high side, but then suddenly retire, sell their business, and they lose that sense of purpose and a little bit of their identity mm -hmm. and are now struggling with more serious either psychiatric issues or substance use issues. And some of it, I, I think, is because they're not quite sure how to derive, you know, a schedule anymore. They're not quite sure what their days are supposed to be filled with. Um, and while right. maybe the ideal, you know, they in the beginning said, wouldn't it be great to be on the golf course every day? Suddenly, when that becomes a reality, it's a little bit, it's a little more challenging than they had imagined. Yes, yes, absolutely. We, we, we have one client who retired at a fairly early age and, you know, said, you know, just almost exactly what you said, where, you know, I, I started to play golf every day and, you know, have lunch and dinner and drinks at the club. Next thing I knew, I was 60 pounds heavier and, you know, wondering what I'm doing with my life. And, and he went back, you know, he went back to work. So, um, you know, it's, it's not easy to plan necessarily in advance because, you know, sometimes a buyer, you know, for your business come, comes out of nowhere and you right. decide that, you know, the timing is right. And so you haven't really planned, you know, but it, eventually it's important to think about, you know, sort of what are the next stages, not just financially where we could help, but just in general, you know, with your life and how do you find purpose and, you know, be fulfilled on a daily basis. But, um, but yeah, we, we certainly have seen people retire and then go back to work because they realize. I, I listen, you saw, you saw what Tom Brady, you know, over the last couple yeah. of days, he decided retirement was for him. So um, it's a lot more prevalent than you think. <laughs> I think that's exactly right. And if we can take one tip from the millennials, I think it's an earlier life, if it's possible, to develop some hobbies or outside interests that you potentially could get more intensively involved in as your work obligations become less intense. I notice with peers, you know, my parents and others in that age group, that wasn't sort of the norm. You worked and then you came home and dealt with family. And so kind of dealing with that transition is much more challenging. Um, well, to end on a yeah. positive note, I'd I'd be curious to hear, you know, what would you tell your 25-year-old self if you had to go back in time? What, what do you wish you knew at that age as you were starting in your career, or maybe midway through your baseball career at least? Yeah. Um, well, I would say two different things. In baseball, um, you know, I was 25 when I was, was playing. And, you know, f for me, it was just, you know, continuing to build my skills and, and my confidence. You know, all of a sudden I found myself playing, you know, with the best you know, baseball players on the planet. And, you know, some days that was, you know, a little challenging. And I think the the best players that I saw, the Hall of Famers, you know, tended not to get into big swings, you know, meaning they didn't swing up and swing down quite as much. They were steady and consistent performers. And, um, you know, I struggled, you know, at times I was really good, at times I was really bad, and it was more difficult for me to kind of climb out of those holes. When you watch the best players, they, in any sport, they, you know, they tend to self-correct pretty quickly and, and, and get out of that. So I would, I'd go back and tell myself to probably, um, you know, find a little bit more confidence to just be able to get out, dig myself out of those, those holes a little quicker. You know, it's funny, and then I transitioned to the business world when I was 30 after business school, and, um, you know, some similar things, you know, I was a relatively young person going into a very successful family or business owner sitting down and, you know, what, what did I know about helping that particular family? Um, you know, but, you know, a lot of questions and a lot of learning, you know, learning about the resources we have. Eventually, I became confident that um, and really understood that, you know, these people need help. And, you know, they might have an advisor that's maybe not the right advisor for that family anymore, or they don't have an advisor because they just have been too busy, you know, working and, and living their lives. And um, I think I learned after a few years that, you know, 
these people actually, they need help around their financial plan. And I kind of changed my mindset instead of, you know, just trying to go in and have a conversation with them, but, you know, really trying to, to highlight how we might be able to help, you know, those individuals and asking a lot of questions and learning about it. So um, it's probably the advice I would give back to myself at that time. <laughs> well, thank you, Todd. This has been a great conversation. Really appreciate your honesty, your candor, your sense of humor. Um, excited that you were able to participate today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's been, been a lot of fun. Absolutely. And thank you to all our viewers and our listeners. If you're so inclined, please find Beyond the Balance Sheet on your podcast platform of choice and leave us a review, hopefully a good one. And we will see you on our next episode. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Balance Sheet, a podcast designed to help advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families solve some of their biggest medical, psychiatric, and emotional challenges. Visit beyondthebalancesheet.com to read more about our guests and resources and sign up for our newsletter.